Support comes from Bellingham's Whatcom Museum with its historic Hall of Birds. On May 31st and June 1st, hosting bird taxidermist and museum preservationist Alice Markham for a weekend of events and workshops. Details and tickets at whatcommuseum.org. Hey, good morning. It's Patricia Murphy. It's Monday. This is Seattle Now. Homelessness and people living outside is a growing problem across the country. Seattle and other expensive cities feel the brunt of that rise, but increasingly the crisis is showing up in smaller suburban cities too. In a minute, Seattle Times reporter Anna Patrick will explain how one King County city's experience shows us how the issue can spiral and how we might be able to make a change. But first, here's what's coming up this week. The largest free health care clinic in the state is returning to the Seattle Center this week. Starting Thursday, people will be able to access free dental, vision, and medical care. It's no small task. Organizers say over four days, more than 3,000 volunteers will help fill a critical need for people who can't afford health care. We'll drop a link in the show notes. Voters in Renton are deciding whether to raise the minimum wage this week. The initiative would require larger businesses to pay employees $20.29 an hour. Smaller employers would pay $2 less. In December, the Renton City Council left the issue to voters when it didn't adopt the measure. Ballots are due tomorrow. And Ristorante Machiavelli on Capitol Hill will be closing after more than three decades. In a heartfelt letter posted on Instagram, owner Suzette Jarding wrote, Things have been tough at that location since the pandemic. The restaurant will open for one final dinner service starting at 3 on Thursday. Reading stories about homelessness in our region can feel like an experience straight out of Groundhog Day. There just isn't enough housing. Encampments pop up and are swept away just to appear somewhere else. And it seems things are getting worse all the time. Seattle Times reporter Anna Patrick wanted to look at why we keep cycling through the same issue over and over and not arriving at solutions. She zeroed in on Burian's experience, trying to find a solution for a few dozen unhoused residents over the past year. They've moved from place to place for months, living in tents near City Hall in an empty lot on a median of a busy road, and most recently in a sanctioned encampment at a Burian church. The lease agreement for that camp ran out last Monday. Pretty much every person I talked to who was living there did not know where they were going to sleep that night. So many people ended up coming back to downtown in Burien and setting up tents on the sidewalk just yards away from Burien City Hall, which is where this debate first was kicked off around unsheltered homelessness. Anna's story explains how Burien tried to address its homelessness and highlights a few potential solutions. Anna, glad you're here. Thanks so much for your reporting. Thank you so much for having me. Always happy to be here. Your story gets into the path Burien took over the last year. The city considered different options, different ways it could respond to its unsheltered population, and they eventually arrived at this ban on camping. Why? When I first started covering the city of Burien, it's home to about 50,000 people last year, its city council was asking really earnest questions that to me felt almost hopeful. And the questions were really simply like, what actions can a city take 
if it has a growing unsheltered homeless population. How much liability does the city take on if they put out, let's say, porta potties at an encampment? It felt like a, a city at a crossroads or a city on a threshold, but what we saw over time, and this happens continuously in all the places I've covered and beyond, more and more complaints came in from business owners, from housed residents, and we watched an encampment get cleared here only to move a block away. That eventually was cleared. It went somewhere else in the city of Burien, right? And so without having shelter or housing to offer these people, they just kept moving along. The problem persisted, if not became worse, and city council members were under immense pressure in an election year to show they were doing something about it. Passing a camping ordinance is, from talking to experts, really the quickest thing that governments can do to show their constituents, look, we're doing something. We're taking action. I want to talk about the politics in a minute. But first, let's talk about the Regional Homelessness Authority, because we hear an awful lot about this group. In theory, this is the kind of work they were created to do. Where are they in all of this? Yeah, to go back to when the Regional Homelessness Authority was created, it was really envisioned as being a kind of overarching coordinating entity that would oversee the county's response to homelessness, would coordinate with every city in King County to really work on setting up goals and ensuring that they were properly resourced to meet those goals. I did hear from a lot of city council members in Burien that wanted to see action and results now from the Regional Homelessness Authority. The now deputy mayor, Kevin Schilling, told me like, what, what are they doing? Why, what are they here for? If not to like kind of step in, intervene and manage this problem for us. What we've seen so far though is it hasn't fully been able to complete its coordinating goal. And that is because there are only a few cities in King County right now that have active contracts with the Regional Homelessness Authority. And they're only those cities that pay the Regional Homelessness Authority to do this work. And so cities like Seattle pay in, King County pays in, as well as five North King County cities. And they all have active working contracts. So the Regional Homelessness Authority is tasked with running all their homeless services contracts in this city. Let's use Seattle as an example. They're going to manage all the active contracts. They can also post new requests for proposals. If Let's say they want to start a brand new project or idea. And we've seen that happen a few times. Um, But in these other places, let's take Burien as an example, they have less active working relationships with them. Burien currently does not pay into the authority to help them manage their response. And so that makes their day-to-day actions there a little more limited. All right, Anna, back to the politics here, because Burien had an election last year and candidates who advocated for a more punitive approach to homelessness won the most races. I'd like to know if there's a way to meaningfully address homelessness, if that's the reality of how people are voting. Yeah, I think you have honed in on probably the greatest push and pull our region faces when it comes to addressing homelessness. And uh, law professor Sarah Rankin over at Seattle University put this really wisely to me. She said, the nature of the people that we have elected, the time frame of somebody's tenure in politics necessarily means that it makes no sense for them to invest in long-term solutions. 
I think that Burien is very similar to a lot of other cities and municipalities where they know that long-term investments in housing and shelter take time. They actually have some affordable housing projects coming online. But in the meantime, what we're seeing across our county and across our region is that homelessness is rising. Our unsheltered homelessness crisis is only growing. Last year, our country reported more homelessness, recorded homelessness than we've ever seen before. What I think Burien is showing is that this is no longer just Seattle's problem. This is a problem that is affecting every city and it, it will continue to affect these places. And when we don't have places to offer them, Burien has 159 shelter beds. They have zero shelter beds for men. When we don't have places to send people to go, that problem is going to just continue. It might be in a different part of town or something, but it's it's going to continue to be there. I really appreciate that nuanced answer, Anna, because what it sounds like from all the things we've been talking about is time, trust, and money are critical to this process. And we are short on all of those things in a lot of these equations. So what can we do to help people right now? You know, there are a lot of creative ways to help maybe lessen the burden of people trying to like meet their daily needs. Let's take this Sunnydale Village, the sanctioned encampment as an example. It was something that came out of a response to watching the city of Burien really move in a direction of criminalization. One thing to note is as Burien kind of slowly and collectively chose this path to build in a camping ordinance, they also had a million dollar offer from King County to open up a tiny house village. And the city of Burien stalled on that for almost half a year. And it took the county giving them a hard deadline for them to actually make a decision on a piece of property to cite this project within their city. City leaders would probably argue with me, and I've heard all the reasons as to why that was so challenging, why that's a tricky thing to solve. But you could also look at it like, hey, it's a, it's an offer to help bring some people into temporary shelter. And one thing I can say from firsthand watching this Sunnydale Village, the sanctioned encampment, which was temporary, but for three months, some people had some stability in their life around, hey, this is where my tent is. These are where my belongings live. I have fencing around me. There is someone at the gated entrance. And I know that I can be here and that I won't be forced to leave. And I will tell you that pretty much everyone I spoke to who was living in that village had like one key message or theme, which is, I feel really safe here. I feel like I can rest. I feel like I can sleep. And safety was really the overarching message I heard. Yeah. Yeah. Really important, Anna. You know, the Supreme Court is going to be weighing in on the legality of camping bans like Burian's. How could that potentially change the way cities address homelessness writ large? The Supreme Court will begin hearing oral arguments around a case called Johnson versus Grants Pass. And this is a case that builds off of Martin v. Boise, which was a very landmark case for rights. And that initial case, Martin v. Boise, pretty much said you can't force someone, can't clear them from an encampment if you have no place to offer them to go. 
Johnson versus Grants Pass builds off that. It was trying to pass ordinances to regulate using sort of survival tools like bedding for staying warm. Our Ninth Circuit Court said that is unconstitutional. It equates to cruel and unusual punishment. We cannot do that to other humans. Both of those landmark cases could be overturned depending on how this Supreme Court goes. And I've heard from a lot of legal experts that it's very hard to make predictions at this time. If this is overturned, it could, in theory, maybe eliminate all protections for people living outside. And in theory, it could open cities up to give them much more room to take swift actions to eliminate visible homelessness or make it harder to be surviving there on, you know, their streets and sidewalks. Right now, there's sort of some basic guardrails they have to follow. Depending on how this goes, it could eliminate all of those. Yeah. Yeah. Anna Patrick, really appreciate your reporting. Thanks so much. Thanks for having me. I'm always happy to be here. Anna Patrick, Project Homelessness Reporter at the Seattle Times. Thanks for listening to Seattle Now, and extra thanks to the generous listeners who financially support this show. Today's episode was produced by Claire McGrain. Our production team also includes Caroline Chamberlain-Gomez, Jenny Cecil-Moore, and Vaughn Jones. Matt Jorgensen does our theme music. Seattle Now and KUOW Public Radio are members of the NPR Network. It's an independent coalition of public media podcasters. You can find more shows in the network wherever you get your podcasts. I'm Patricia Murphy. See you tomorrow. Seattle in the 90s. A tidal wave of iconic music roars out of this sleepy city and launches a pop culture revolution. Here's a story you haven't heard. Let the Kids Dance is a new podcast about the rise and fall of Seattle's teen dance ordinance, the law that made it illegal for young people to go to concerts. A story of moral panic, grassroots activism, and an unstoppable music community that fought for its freedom. Listen to Let the Kids Dance from KUOW and the NPR Network.